Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. Welcome along to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact about our last episode discussing the insurance industry and the issue of compensation. You can still listen back to our podcast on Newstalk.com or on iTunes. And as always, you can get in contact with us today by emailing between the lines at Newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, coming up today, we're going to be discussing the regulation of big tech companies will be asking whether they're publishers or just a public square and where there is responsibility and regulation. Joining us to discuss on the panel today, Director of Research at TU Dublin, Brian O'Neill. Brian, you're very welcome to the programme. Hi Andre, good to be here. Just first of all, um, Brian, just kind of set the scene for us and just explain what kind of regulation do these big tech firms, big tech companies currently have to adhere to, if any at all? Well, uh, there's, uh, in fact, there's a variety. Uh, there's a there's a whole spectrum of uh, different uh, uh, different forms of regulation. Clearly, uh, the most well known is uh, data protection. Uh, in terms of in European terms, uh, the General Data Protection uh, Regulation (GDPR), uh, which uh, has uh, been something of a game changer uh, because it sets uh, European wide, consistent, uh, and very much a user and citizen focused uh, uh, regulation. Uh, but the uh, the perception uh, that uh, social media uh, and internet companies uh, are unregulated or that there's no regulation uh, in the zone at all uh, is really erroneous. Uh, you know, there are uh, many different uh, uh, mm. forms of um, uh, both legislative and uh, collaborative uh, approaches around this, uh, some of which have been successful, uh, some less so. Clearly, and I think a, a really important principle is that uh, what is illegal offline uh, is illegal online. Uh, and therefore, you have the whole realm in terms of uh, the policing uh, and uh, the battle against uh, both illegal activity and illegal uh, content. Uh, and that's been a big focus uh, for mm. governments and uh, for companies. Uh, where uh, there is uh, much more controversy is in terms of uh, the whole area of uh, companies acting as mere content uh, of content, uh, uh, ostensibly uh, that they don't uh, publish uh, user-generated content, uh, which in fact is, as the name suggests, generated by users uh, and uh, is content shared uh, and not subject uh, to the norms uh, that we would expect uh, in other uh, publishing contexts. Okay. Why is it so difficult, Brian, to regulate that? We're, we have to look at, uh, I suppose, the historical evolution uh, of uh, the social media industry uh, as one particular part of this. And indeed, uh, the, uh, the whole priority given uh, to the Internet and uh, digital communications uh, as a cornerstone of uh, innovation and technology uh, development. Uh, it is massive. Uh, it is global. Uh, it is uh, something that has uh, revolutionized how uh, we communicate uh, uh, how we organise information, uh, how uh, services and products uh, are developed. Uh, so uh, the pace of innovation is something that really has outstripped uh, the ability uh, of um, legislators, policymakers, okay. informed commentators to really predict uh, all of the consequences. And uh, I think you know we're certainly going through periods now 
of uh, perhaps a day of reckoning uh, where the, the consequences are such uh, that it has been a real wake-up call uh, that we now need uh, to catch up uh, and try and put in place uh, the kinds of rules uh, that perhaps uh, provide better protection. Mm. Just to be kind of clear about it, like it strikes me sometimes that it's the, it, well it is the platform provider that is responsible for or held somewhat responsible for the kind of commentary that you or I may make on their platform in the same way as I might go down to a town hall and make some wild outlandish comment at a public event. It wouldn't be the town hall owner or event organiser that would be held responsible because they were the platform on which I provided my, mm. my wild and outlandish commentary. So how do we kind of better regulate around that? Well, we're invited into these uh, platforms uh, and uh, some have been remarkably successful uh, in catching audiences and uh, bringing together uh, whole uh, networks uh, of social connections whereby people uh, socialise online and uh, share that uh, content. Now, as part of that uh, invitation uh, to participate and to share content, uh, we sign up to an agree uh, terms uh, of use, uh, the community standards and uh, an implicit agreement uh, to abide uh, uh, by those uh, conditions. Uh, So there's a shared responsibility there uh, in terms of uh, users uh, who do sign up to this and of course in terms of uh, the platform operators uh, in maintaining uh, uh, standards that are appropriate and uh, fit for uh, the social uh, social context in which uh, this is used. Uh, So uh, within that, uh, where do things go wrong? Mm. Uh, Where uh, there are clear breaches uh, of uh, uh, both those standards or the standards themselves are not uh, sufficiently enforced or even uh, uh, perhaps uh, in keeping with uh, uh, societal expectations. And that's been a feature. So when you talk about the GDPR and the kind of universal EU-wide regulations that we have online, is that sufficient to try and regulate this or does each individual country need to have their own now set of bylaws as well? I think again, this uh, you know, this does highlight uh, some of the complexity involved uh, in the whole regulatory uh, uh, business uh, associated uh, with uh, on uh, uh, global uh, transnational uh, kinds of operations. Uh, there's uh, the the sovereignty of uh, the individual uh, nation state uh, to make laws and uh, to appropriately design uh, uh, for its citizens. Uh, but uh, you know, we in particular, you know, we're very much uh, part of a European project. Project, mm. uh, we conform with and uh, we subscribe uh, to uh, European standards, uh, both legislative uh, and uh, in uh, political terms. And uh, you know that uh, perhaps has shown uh, better success uh, in terms of being able to negotiate uh, a wider arrangement that is more effective. Uh, with uh, uh, companies that, uh, as I say, really are very much uh, global in reach. Uh, So, you know, privacy and data protection is one very good example of this. And uh, I think uh, Mr. Zuckerberg's recent visit, you know, has highlighted Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what he calls uh, uh, a standard uh, that he would hope uh, that uh, could be applied uh, on a global level. Uh, Obviously, it is a regulation uh, to which all European member states uh, are obliged uh, to to enforce. Um, 
it is also uh, significantly new and large that uh, you know its implications are still uh, unfolding. Uh, but it has the potential and the power uh, to certainly to levy fines and uh, to bring about uh, a compliance uh, with a regime uh, that is much more favourable uh, towards privacy protection uh, and to recognising citizens' rights. Um, can that uh, be applied uh, in other contexts? Um, I think uh, there's uh, certainly a lot of debate uh, that uh, uh, privacy is one dimension of very significant uh, concern. And given the kinds of breaches that are, uh, there have been, uh, could you apply uh, the same type of regime uh, in relation to harmful content? Uh, we've had a lot of uh, uh, cooperation mm. around combating illegal content, but harmful content, uh, which Do you may... mean with regards to an individual's reputation, their their their. There's uh, harmful content, of course, is a whole uh, array. It's a whole spectrum of uh, uh, content uh, that will be deemed, uh, 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 let's say, not uh, in accordance with uh, defined standards. Uh, now, who defines the standards mm. of you know what is uh, acceptable uh, and uh, what is. Uh, 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 appropriate uh, to a community. So that's, and companies set their own community standards, uh, but equally there are uh, wider uh, sectoral agreements uh, and uh, there have been a number of negotiated codes of conduct um, uh, for uh, both content uh, providers and uh, for operators in the whole audiovisual space. Uh, And that is, uh, you know, something that we uh, we could focus on and perhaps, you know, give better uh, enforcement uh, powers. Uh, So disinformation in news is another example. Mm. Uh, Hate speech, uh, uh, content uh, that uh, is... uh uh, bullying in nature uh, and uh, the whole uh, uh, domain of uh, cyberbullying, particularly for younger people, uh, is an area that uh, is something that has been highlighted as uh, content that we should, in fact, uh, codify and yeah. you know, get a better handle on. I thought you made an interesting comment at the very outset of the programme. What you can't say, you know, in normal day-to-day conversation, you also can't say that online. And, and I sometimes feel that there is a kind of a disparity um, in terms of people's understanding of, you know, I can't say something about you that's defamatory here today off air, but I also can't make that same comment on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or any social media site. And I think there is a kind of a lack in, in terms of the communication that's been provided to people about that. Would you agree that there's that, some kind of a need for... Indeed, indeed. And, uh, you know, perhaps again it is this perception uh, that uh, no rules apply uh, and uh, that it is, uh, in the phrase often used, a wild west of, you know, complete uh, uh, unregulated and unregulable uh, uh, type of area. And uh, that is not the case. However, uh, it is also true to say that uh, enforcement uh, is difficult mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, there, uh, you know, the, the, the lengths one has to go go to uh, in terms of uh, righting uh, a wrong uh, or seeking redress uh, are simply too high. And that has been proven time and time again. Just going back to the idea of the enforcer, you know, we talked about the kind of the the, the idea of a town hall and the organisers of the event. If that's our social media site or our platform that's providing the space for this kind of commentary, who's the enforcer to police that? Like, should it actually be the likes of the social media sites or is it a government responsibility or should people just not take... responsibility for their own actions. We need to look at uh, what enforcement actually means in this context and you know, to, uh, to understand uh, that this uh, town hall environment uh, is uh, significantly 
large, uh, that uh, it is uh, constantly growing, uh, that there isn't any one single point of entry, uh, and uh, that it will be a combination of all of these features. Uh, I think uh, sort of you know central to the the whole online ethos uh, is the sense of almost a community policing, and you know this mm. goes back to the early days uh, that uh, it was a community online uh, that uh, could self-regulate uh, because it had enough good citizens uh, among the community who would be able to flag and they would be trusted uh, pillars of that community to be able to uh, manage uh, 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 issues uh, that arise in the, over, uh, uh, over the course uh, of uh, ongoing communication. Now clearly that isn't scalable uh, and uh, that is not enough uh, on its own. Uh, uh, big tech companies have certainly deployed uh, the power of technology and artificial intelligence is increasingly being pointed to uh, that uh, these are big data problems and uh, potentially have uh, uh, machine learning solutions and that there is there is potential as part of that uh, that these are systems uh, that can uh, also add uh, a domain uh, of or a dimension of uh, uh, self-regulation uh, through the power of technology. But no, uh, uh, you know, ultimately, I think you know, it is accepted uh, that uh, these on their own are not enough mm-hmm. and that there is a, a process of uh, agreement uh, that needs to be entered into uh, and uh, you know, formally recognised in terms of uh, technology companies working with governments. And uh, that is very much uh, the issue on the agenda at the moment. Uh, in setting out uh, both a set of standards uh, and a system in place and a set of mechanisms uh, by which uh, that would be uh, uh, reinforced uh, that uh, would uh, be made accessible uh, mm-hmm. to the wide public, uh, that there is uh, uh, transparency uh, in its operation, and that ultimately it's one uh, that uh, instills uh, greater trust uh, and accountability uh, because uh, the the lack of um, a trust uh, in the online environment uh, is damaging on all fronts. Uh, and uh, you know, from a government's uh, perspective, you know, we put so much in terms of uh, our our future opportunities uh, through uh, technology-informed, rich uh, societies uh, that are uh, made better and mm-hmm. uh, have better services as a result of technology. So, uh, you need to have something that uh, has the confidence uh, of its users. We have, I suppose, various different um, advisory groups or bodies in the sense of the the governance advisory uh, group. We also have the National Advisory Council for Online Safety. So, look, efforts are being made to try and advise the government with expert advice on on internet policy and online safety. What more could we do, though, Brian? Well, uh, uh, having uh, having that uh, type of multi stakeholder for, for, forum uh, in itself is very important uh, because I think it recognises uh, that this ultimately will be a collective solution. Uh, there may be particular emphasis on key actors to move forward and to progress mm. and uh, perhaps do more of what they haven't done in the past, uh, but ensuring that all voices are around the table uh, is particularly important. Um, uh, I think the rush to regulation as a solution uh, for all of our problems uh, uh, we need to just pause on that for a moment and think about you know what in fact it would deliver and how effective and how speedily it would deliver solutions do, do you think is there too much of a push been put on an overregulation uh, sometimes I think there's uh, uh, perhaps uh, 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 an over-optimism as to what it may deliver. Uh, 
because uh, there is a long history of uh, experiences of mm. regulation across many different sectors. And uh, this is not a problem that has arisen just today. And uh, we have to look back at the history of you know what uh, is effective regulation uh, and uh, how regulation itself uh, can be improved. Uh, that has come about uh, through a closer dialogue between the actors. And I think the opportunity presented at the moment uh, by the opening of technology companies uh, uh, to uh, proactively mm. inviting uh, discussion on regulation is uh, is a very positive move. I suppose it's probably in the extreme cases and this is in the extreme when we talk about situations like what happened in Christchurch in New Zealand where footage of one of the you know the most horrendous horrific act is streamed via an online site and you therefore have the police then subsequently asking people not to post and reshare it. Are we too quick in cases like subsequently following cases like that to move to look to further regulation? Uh, it it was a seminal moment. There's no question about it. I think it galvanised uh, the the world's attention, and I think uh, you know, particularly in terms of you know, Facebook Live, uh, people uh, saw uh, the horrendous, uh, uh, abject, you know, misuse mm. of uh, technology, uh, and effectively what was a hijacking uh, by malicious actors uh, of uh, a, a global system, and uh, with uh, the best uh, technology behind uh, this. And uh, the power of global companies uh, to try and uh, uh, put out uh, the fires that were started from this, you saw also the limits of uh, of the response. Um, but as I was saying, you know these issues have not arisen just now. I think uh, recent experiences, you know, both in terms of the the whole electoral process, uh, the uh, the geopolitical uh, dimension uh, of uh, attacks uh, through system, uh, the uh, the issues around cybersecurity which attend a lot of this. And then uh, very much in terms of the whole domain of uh, social media misuse and harmful communication. This has galvanised all of the attention of, you know, some inherent problems. Uh, Now it's at a point of uh, bringing these together and putting in place uh, the next phase. Mm -hmm. You know, we we have grown up and evolved uh, and you know we as users have contributed uh, to many of these issues and remember this is about regulating human behaviour uh, at the end of the, uh, of the day uh, so we're at a point where we do need new thinking uh, but it has to be thinking that is progressive uh, and that uh, brings together uh, the experience of uh, obviously stakeholders who work close uh, to users on the ground. Uh, we have to think about uh, the kind of education reinforcement and uh, the kinds of supports that will be needed uh, to ensure that uh, we are prioritising uh, the best uh, that we can um, uh, avail okay. of uh, through a digital environment Just and minimise all of these uh, problems uh, in terms of its uh, implementation, in terms of its use. Just finally, right for the moment, um, what would your advice be to the government of what do you think that they could do here at home domestically in terms of trying to address this in the kind of in the short to medium term? Well, I think there is a particular opportunity uh, uh, that has been highlighted uh, by the presence of uh, global tech companies uh, based in Dublin and uh, the visibility that has been given uh, to headquarters here, uh, the role of the Data Protection Commissioner in terms of uh, GDPR, uh, our responsibilities in a European context are all very important. Uh, We have had a lively political debate uh, in terms of uh, various measures uh, coming forward and proposals uh, 
uh, for uh, a new approach towards regulation and in particular a, a debate around uh, the uh, 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 proposed online safety commissioner. Now, uh, all of that uh, is uh, an invitation to bring together a number of different solutions, part of which is regulation, but there are other dimensions uh, for any uh, oversight body uh, uh, that would have a role in, in this area. Uh, what is key, I think, is to remember that uh, 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 you know, in terms of the other major issue facing us is that we are very much part of the European family uh, and uh, that uh, the most effective dialogue that has taken place has been uh, between uh, a community of member states uh, uh, with uh, the, the global technology uh, business. Uh, and uh, we've seen uh, strong action in the whole area of competition law and uh, antitrust. And, uh, you know, that is uh, a, a, an important example. Uh, we can look to uh, the successes to date in terms of combating illegal content, uh, extremism, um, uh, radicalization online, uh, no hate speech. And uh, I think bring together some of uh, the same momentum uh, in terms of the area of uh, harmful content, uh, which is the particular mm. issue and problem that uh, we're facing at the moment. We'll leave it there for the moment. My thanks to uh, Brian O'Neill, who's the Director of Research at TU Dublin, for joining us here on Between the Lines today. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're very welcome back to the second part of today's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we're discussing big tech companies and asking whether they're publishers or just a public space. We're talking about their responsibilities and regulation. Joining us on our panel now is the chair of the Oireachtas Communications Committee, Hildegard Nocton. My thanks to you for joining us today. Thank you. Um, I suppose we can't get away from talking about the fact that uh, the Facebook co-founder Mark Zuckerberg was in Dublin earlier on this week. He was meeting with uh, just three politicians, I suppose, really in a, in a private setting, um, one of which was, was yourself. Tell us, um, why, first of all, did he come here? Um, well, he asked to meet uh, myself, uh, Deputy Eamon Ryan and James Lawless because we are members of the International Grand Committee. This is a, a committee of international parliamentarians who are looking at how we address disinformation and fake news. Myself and Deputy Ryan travelled to Westminster last November. Um, of this, We had a meeting of the International Grand Committee and Mr Zuckerberg was invited to that meeting, but unfortunately he didn't attend. He sent his Vice President, uh, Richard Allen. So... We were very disappointed, as were the other parliamentarians. So I suppose at the last minute we got a we got notice that Mr Zuckerberg was coming to Dublin and he requested that meeting with us. So my first question to him um, was that he would appear before the Grand International Committee when it comes to Ireland, Dublin in November. So I hope that he will get back to me with a positive response in relation to that. But I think he wanted to meet us because he, over the weekend, we know he, last weekend he um, had an op-ed in the Washington Times and the, New, New York, the Washington Post and the New mm. York Times in relation to governments having to do more to regulate. So we, we're working on our own legislation in our committee um, and, it's, and it's important that we engage with the social media companies as we have been doing, Google, Facebook and all the others. But it was an important opportunity for us to sit, talk to him and to raise our concerns in relation to regulation. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the kind of issues, I suppose, that were raised with him? 
So um, we raised a number of issues. One was about this was moderation um, of harmful content online and how we deal with that. I also raised the whole area of child protection and the fact that there's a lack of robust age verification structures in place where you could have an adult, a paedophile, this is what's happening at the moment, pretending or lying about their mm. age, pretending they're a younger person, masquerading as a younger person and preying on young and vulnerable children. Um, so we need to work, I suppose, at, at a legislative level, but also with social media companies in relation to dealing with that. We also talked about the whole thing about protecting democracy. We're coming up to the European elections now. And how do we uh, counteract fake news? And how do we I suppose, have more transparency about who are, who are placing ads online, political advertisements? Where are they coming from? How much money is behind it? How do you know if you're targeted? All of these things to have more transparency around who is targeting you during elections. So there are some of the areas that mm. we raised. And are they things? that can be addressed easily? There's a combination of, I suppose, laws that we have to put in place. So we're working on an online transparency bill around political advertising. Um, Facebook have said already that they're already moving uh, towards that and by mid-April if you're placing a political ad online in Europe coming up to the European elections you'll have to state who you are where you're located um, say how much money you're paying for that ad you also have to declare any other ads that you may be be placing online political ads and who you're targeting Um, and you have to put all of this in the ad no this is this will become Facebook or enabling when you are placing an ad for example if I am placing an ad that I'd have to give some type of identification government ID to say who I am and who I'm targeting and my audiences and how much I'm paying so that when people are viewing these ads they know who mm-hmm. I am they know who, who I am targeting and also they'll know if I am placing other ads with maybe mixed messages going out um, from a political point of view so. Okay just in, in terms of trying to regulate the whole um, online kind of social media tech industry there has been some concerns raised about being too quick to regulate and perhaps even over-regulating in, in, in some cases and, and that was I suppose an issue we, we heard raised a little bit earlier on in the programme today as well Hildegard but what's your view on that? Yeah we have to be very careful about we have their rights there in relation to freedom of speech and freedom of expression um, we're working on an online safety act at the moment Minister Richard Bruton has a public consultation at the moment it's going to end in mid-April um, around I suppose the concerns around a regulator for social media in Australia they have a, an online digital safety commissioner and she works very effectively there she has I suppose fining powers she can sanction social media companies who are not uh, taking down material on her request so if a citizen complains to a social media company and they don't get any traction there they can uh, complain to this online um, regulator just like we have the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland mm. who regulates radio and television and we have the Press Council here in Ireland, Ireland who regulate the press so there's a, a, a point of contact for people to complain and make complaints but we don't have that from an internet level in relation to social media platforms so we um, in Ireland our Iraq this committee are working on that legislation so there's a role for us but we ha- what the big stumbling block that we have come up here and this is exactly what you've raised is we have to get that definition of what is harmful communication Communication because what you might find uh, to well, be di- distasteful yeah, might, might not be illegal, it might not be harmful and you have a right to, you know, to criticise and have freedom of speech. So these are the, the nuances that are really important for freedom of speech that we need to take on board. Just for, for clarity purposes as well, for members of the public, people will hear a lot and there's been a lot of talk about this recently in terms of kind of GDPR and the role of the data, uh, the data commissioner. That would be different to the online digital safety. Commissioner, would that be right? Yes, the data uh, 
commissioner here, Helen Dixon, she's over with your data privacy. Um, and even in our own committee, we're looking at this is online content. And that's your what people put online, what they publish online is different to maybe people's data privacy. So they're, they're, they're two distinct they're, they're, they're different issues um, and sometimes people can confuse data privacy with actually putting something up online mm. that may be harmful or illegal. So um, that's what we're working through in our committee and we've had the Data Protection Commissioner before us and because a lot of these social media companies like Facebook, Google are have their base here, their European base in Ireland, Helen Dixon, our data commissioner is actually effectively the, the data commissioner for all of Europe because they're based here. So we're in a very, I suppose, a good position. Mm. We can lead the way on this legislation. And that's why it's so important to engage with social media companies. And I have to compliment my colleagues cross party on my committee who are working very hard on this whole area. There is a commitment to implement the online digital safety commissioner. So that is something that's going to happen. There is going to be a SAR that will have charge of this. Yes, and we're working on that legislation at the moment. And as I say, the stumbling block for us is that to get that definition of what is harmful communication okay. so that we're not, um, I suppose, breaching people's freedom of speech, free, freedom of speech yeah. and freedom of expression. Do we have any idea as to when that might come into place? So at the moment, Minister Richard Bruton has a public consultation looking for, I suppose, exactly people's concerns in relation to this and trying to find those definitions. Also, what would the role of this regulator be? How would he or she, what would the remit be? What would their um, sanctioning or their fining powers um, be? Would they have an educational role? Um, and I, I suppose my own personal view would be that we would start small and make sure that whatever role or remit we give this commissioner, this regulator, online regulator, that it is workable and we can build it from there. So make sure that it's effective. So, so the minister at the moment is currently looking for people um, to engage with this, to give their views. How can people, if they're listening today, do that? If they have something they want to say or something they feel should be part of the commissioner's role? So you can contact the Department of Communications, Climate Action and Environment and give your views there. Um, so if you go into rockthis.ie, all of this would be on the Rockthis website and how to interact with that. Okay. One of the things that has always struck me about the whole governance and regulation of social media is... The lack of education and the lack of awareness out there, particularly among the public, that I could go on Twitter today, Hildegard, and say something about you that's, you know, wildly defamatory. And then my colleague could come along and like it and retweet it. And they often don't realise that they're just as liable for these comments that I've made about you, you know, because they've effectively republished um, and redistributed the, the commentary. Is there a need now for some kind of a nationwide campaign across the country to highlight all of this to people. Yes, I think that's a really good point. We have a role as legislators. Social media companies have a role as well. They have a responsibility. But citizens have a have a, a personal responsibility as well. And how we do that, we need to roll out an education campaign as well through schools and through just the general public. Um, a lot of parents, for example, feel disempowered. They feel their children know more about them, more mm. than them in relation to social media. There's a great website called webwise.ie that can really inform parents on how to protect their children online, to talk to your children before they even get a device, before they get a phone, um, before they go online about how they protect themselves. And we need to have a discussion as well ourselves about, I suppose, the whole thing around of what I would call empathy online and, and you know, these keyboard warriors and be careful what you, you do, what you say, what you share online. And we've had instances here in this country where mm. people share, you know, the most graphic and and harmful material, 
maybe not really realising, I hope, not really realising the effect and the impact that that's having on people's families and people close to them. But we also probably haven't had really either, and maybe this is sometimes when stuff like this becomes, you know, very much highlighted and in the public eye, is that, you know, in our scenario, if you were to take me to court for some defamatory comment I've made on social media about you, then it's really going to be highlighted. Then all of a sudden people will sit up and I suppose we just haven't had a lot of these kind of high profile cases yet. Yes, and I and I suppose th- we're looking at the whole area of so citizens as, as publishers, the people as, as publishers, and that's effectively what you're doing when you're going online. And we need to be careful about what we say, um, as you would on radio, as you would on television, as you would in a newspaper. The same rules need to apply in the online space, and we just don't have that at the moment. It's hard to kind of get that fine line, though, between the online space and regulation and not becoming a complete nanny state as well. Yeah, like. and we need to be very careful of that, and that's why I go back to that whole definition of what is harmful communication and it's it's very difficult and as a part of our, our grand international committee I've raised this it would be great if we could work at an international level and have certain minimum standards of course if something is clearly illegal or there is um, hate crime or something that is obviously illegal we have that law those laws are in place and law enforcement can can take action but we need to work together at an international level because the web is a worldwide web mm. we just can't work as one country on our own we have to be working at a European and an, and an international national level. I suppose one of the points that we've been kind of talking about here, particularly in terms of education and and greater awareness, is in particular children and the protection of young kids as well. And I know that's something that you had brought up actually with um, the Facebook founder, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, when he was here earlier this week. Just kind of very specifically on those points, Hildegard, did you get much insight into how, how they might change their policies there? I raised the issue of child protection because I just I told him that it wasn't an issue that he had raised um, last weekend in his op-ed and he said that he was very concerned about child protection. I raised the whole area about age verification online to prevent, I suppose, adult predators. Um, he said that he has to do more in that area and I, I suppose I raised the issue about age verification. How do you find, and this is not just children, it's for adults who are going online, how do you find out what age somebody actually is? Like you're supposed to be 13 before you can open a Facebook account but how do they determine whether somebody, a child is 13 under or over 13 um, he said that he was, uh, they had been very reactive in the past so something would have been reported to them about possibly a mm. child who was under 13 who was on Facebook and they would have reacted, he said that they're doing more now to be proactive and to try and identify um, children who are underage online but we need to do an awful lot more and find I suppose ways to verify people's age but at, at their age but at the same time protect their data privacy and how you do that, this is something that we have to have a discussion on. Okay, just on a final point for today, in terms of the actual committee of which you are um, the chairperson of the communications committee, like, is there anything that in the kind of short to medium term, apart from, I suppose, the finalising legislation in terms of the online digital safety commissioner and getting public engagement um, from, from members of the public as well, is there anything else that can be done to try and just, on a basic level, improve day-to-day safety for people online? I think awareness is a big thing. I think people can act immediately on that if they're given the tools to it. And I think we need to do more in relation to rolling out that campaign. Uh, I, I think if we start with children, I think it is really is a good mm. start and how to keep them safe online and start talking about these issues. A third, I think a third of children are accessing inappropriate, age-inappropriate material online. And I think a lot of parents don't realise that even when they're playing games online, they're actually talking to strangers a lot of the time. And it, it's to raise 
uh, raise an awareness campaign. I think that is the the most immediate thing that we can, can we can do. There are lots of tools out there, lots of websites like Webwise.ie, um, CyberSafe Ireland, also. But we we could do an awful lot in that space. Just, just finally on that point, Edgar, would you be in favour of having an actual rollout of an education sort of a social media online education system in schools is that something you'd be in favour of? Yes and I know a lot of schools are doing work in this in this area I think we need to certainly I would be totally in agreement that we need to roll that out more so and to bring parents on board as well we need to have parents as part of this conversation. We'll leave it there for the moment my thanks to the chair of the Oireachtas Communications Committee Hildegard Nachton for joining us here on Between the Lines today. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to the final part of today's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we're discussing the online tech companies. We're asking whether they're publishers or a public space today and what kind of responsibilities and regulation there should be in these particular areas. Now, joining us for the final part of today's uh, discussion is um, Adrian Weckler, who's the technology editor with the Irish Independent. Adrian, thanks for joining us today. No problem, Andrew. You've had an opportunity, I suppose, to to listen to some of the discussion today, um, a lot of which, I suppose, has been really focused around the Facebook co-founder Mark Zuckerberg's visit to Dublin earlier this week. Um, we got a sense there from Hildegard Nocton as, as to kind of why he was here. But just as a sort of a commentator, really, Adrian, what did you think of Mark Zuckerberg's visit to Dublin? I thought it was very interesting for a number of reasons. There were a lot of things that he spoke about, including with the TDs that uh, haven't really been touched upon. If he admitted a, a few things, for example, like that the, the fact that Facebook reclassified 1.5 billion users out of Europe uh, on the eve of the GDPR just to get them out of that data classification um, requirement. And he also said things like he wouldn't be appealing uh, the £500,000 fine that Facebook got for the Cambridge, uh, uh, um, sorry, that he wouldn't resile from from appealing the, the fine, the Cambridge Analytica fine. So it was quite um, revealing some of the stuff um, he said. One of the issues he didn't really go into and none of our TDs have is the issue of digital literacy with older people. An awful lot of the problems that we talk about actually are more to do with older people using Facebook. Like on the issue of children, um, accessing uh, the service and age verification. Very few kids use Facebook. And it, surpri- it surprises me continually when I hear TDs um, talking about this as an issue. They kind of confuse Facebook with the internet. Almost no kids use Facebook. It's really just Instagram and, and, and Snapchat that they use. So I was surprised that, that was a particular um, area of focus um, for uh, for for one or two of the TDs when, so, when they met him. Okay, so that's interesting. So Facebook, Adrian, isn't used by the majority of the the, the young, under sixteens, effectively. Then, it, no, it, barely at all. Normally, they will go on to see whose grandfather has passed away to, and and where the the removal details um, are. That that's generally why why kids go on. Now, to be fair, Facebook does own Instagram, and kids do use um, Instagram an awful lot. But some of the measures that have been suggested, including by Deputy Hildegard Nocton, um, uh, Fina Gale, who, who you, you were speaking mm. to, have kind of been eye-openers. Uh, Deputy Nocton, before she met Mark Zuckerberg, proposed that passports and PPS numbers might be used as a way for us all to get onto Facebook to, to battle kids uh, getting onto the service. She then suggested that maybe eye scanning, that everybody might get an eye scan uh, to verify your age uh, before you got onto Facebook. Now, um, there was a public backlash against that, so she uh, she 
effectively reversed out of, out of that position. But that goes to the issue of digital literacy that, that I'm talking about. There seems to be a big disconnect between our politicians and the the people running uh, these companies. And when they meet, sometimes there's not an awful lot of productive stuff that actually happens. So when you talk about Mark Zuckerberg's visit here, I suppose, mm-hmm. earlier um, or earlier this week and some of the, the, the issues that were raised and issues, as you mentioned, that weren't raised, from Mark Zuckerberg's perspective, I mean, did he leave here? Did yeah. he leave Ireland in a, this was a successful meeting, a successful engagement? Or, I mean, can you get a sense I, of how he felt this uh, engagement yeah. went? I, I can. I, I am. He, from his point of view, I would say was neutral to positive. So he didn't see Helen Dixon, the Data Protection Commissioner, because she was away. He didn't see Taoiseach Leo Varadkar because he was in Paris meeting Emmanuel Macron. He met a few TDs. He did meet the media as well. And he met, uh, of course, the staff, 4, 000, some of the 4,000 staff working here in Facebook. And that isn't to be underestimated, by the way. Morale in Facebook has been up and down in recent years. And it means a lot when your founder comes uh, Mm. to visit. From a regulatory and policy pushing point of view, he would have been here in Dublin, which is the heart of uh, Europe as far as his regulation is concerned, to try and persuade people that he's part of the answer and not part of the problem. So that's why he wrote his op-ed. And by the way, I must correct Deputy Nocton. She's repeatedly said that it was New York Times and the Washington Post. It was the Sunday Independent and the Washington Post that he published those op-eds in. And he chose those two organs very particularly because the Washington Post is a policy-making uh, journal in uh, the US and the Sunday Independent has the large circulation here. So that's why he chose that th- those organs. But the point he was making there, he was trying to get ahead of the regulation to say, here's what we're doing on things like harmful content. Here's what we're doing on political advertising, on privacy, on data portability. And he had some specific measures. As Deputy Nocton yeah. said, um, F- Facebook is will, will now have a sticker. If you want to place an ad for the European elections uh, this May, you will have to place a sticker on your ad saying who you are, how much you paid for that ad, what kind of people you were hoping to reach down to their age and their gender. So there's a big transparency drive on. Well, what Mark Zuckerberg is really worried about is that in the EU, that the, the European Commission and officials here might break Facebook up so that they would separate um, Facebook into Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp as different companies because they have such a big lead in their respective sectors. And I mean, what's the likelihood of that? The likelihood is at the moment is small because what Facebook say is that, no, 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 um, you know, it, it's, it's not just Snapchat and Twitter uh, and TikTok that we're going up against. When you talk about WhatsApp, which is by far the biggest messaging platform, we're also up against iMessage and we're up against SMS, which is the ordinary 086087, mm. um, uh, you know, t- text system that we've been using for years and years. So he's doesn't seem to be worried about that. I am not so sure that he's right, though, because at the moment, Facebook is trying to change the whole system whereby you can send a message from Facebook to Instagram to WhatsApp. You can send a message from any one of them to any of the others. Now, if that happens, it's not hard to see how that becomes a bit of a walled garden, a bit like what Apple tries to do with with its products. And in that circumstance, I can see someone like um, the European Competition uh, Commissioner, uh, Marguerite Vesteger, who is a a shortlisted candidate candidate now for president of the commission, I can see her stepping in saying, no, 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 we're not going to have that. 
Can I just ask you as well, I suppose, very specifically about some of the measures and some of which um, our previous guest, Hildegard Nocton, touched on as well. One of the areas she said he didn't really focus on specifically at all, actually, was the area surrounding protection of children and protection of yes. kids online. Yes. Why Why was that? Um, a couple of reasons. So first of all, um, from Facebook's perspective, it's not something they get an awful lot of grief over compared to other issues because not very many kids actually use Facebook. Okay. Yes, they use Instagram, which uh, Facebook owns, but there, are, there aren't that many examples. Uh, Instagram is not cited as the service that is most affected by things like illegal imagery or, um, or other very, very serious stuff. It is cited in things like cyberbullying, but they are seen as slightly lower level issues than uh, issues like rigging elections or, you know, live broadcasting of, um, you know, somebody going around shooting people and, and murdering people, which Facebook does get into trouble for. Those are the things that Facebook tends to, to get more um, heat over. On the child verification, age verification and on protecting kids, that tends to be more of an issue for, for services like Google and YouTube and also for access to the Internet in general. So the, the, the mobile and broadband operators used to get a lot of heat in Ireland over that. Virgin used to get a lot of uh, hassle over that uh, when, when the conversation was all about how do you get onto the internet. Um, these days, it tends to be things like, well, how do you put safety filters on your phones? But Facebook as a company itself and as a service doesn't tend to attract that much uh, um, uh, on that issue. So again, I think... Um, uh, the TDs who raised that issue again, and I go back to this digital literacy issue, mm. I think they're confusing the services. So there's a lack of aware. We're, talk- we're just talking there earlier I, I, about I the idea of a rollout of I mean, a campaign. Like, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you see that as well with, you'll remember the, the recent uh, scandal over Momo, which was basically a hoax. And every, we all went absolutely nuts over Momo and we thought that our kids were going to be traumatised because there was no Momo. But There was a digital literacy issue there with people, with older people who don't spend that much time online, who just heard about something and and kind of believed it. Anyway, that's not to say that it wasn't right to Mm -hmm. to raise it because he is one of the most important people uh, in decision makers. Um, And there probably will in time be some sort of age verification system brought in to stop kids under 13s getting on services like Facebook, but certainly not the requirement for passport or PPS details or invasive biometric um, systems like eye scanning. Just before we leave Mark Zuckerberg and his visit here, Adrian, to Ireland, I suppose there was some criticism that it was a bit of a policy roadshow or a PR sort of a, you know, stop off um, here in Ireland. But just how did you find him in terms of... I, I found him to be um, kind of complex. He was fairly sincere in his engagements, I found. Um, when he, At Facebook's headquarters, he was absolutely mobbed by the staff there. They were all, all looking for a selfie. He was a little bit wooden and robotic at the same time. He had obviously been... Um, he has a funny uh, personal technique that when he talks to you, he spends about two or three seconds looking you directly in the eye and then he moves directly uh, to the next person does exactly the same thing while he's, uh, while he's talking. So I'm sure he has to do that you know a thousand times uh, a month i found it be fairly sincere reasonably thoughtful he was light on the jargon which was good mm-hmm. he was willing to speak fairly 
honestly and truthfully. But what he needed was the right questions. You needed to write and ask him direct questions. There's no point. There were a lot of people asking him questions like, you know, isn't this awful? Isn't that awful? What are you going to do about it? And he had rehearsed answers for that. What you needed to do was to ask him specific questions about, um, you know, uh, on the issue of political on, uh, of European elections, for example. If this player does that, what are you going to do? Okay. Like he was fairly candid in saying that he believes that Russia is still going to be a problem in, in the next European elections. But um, he, he, you need to ask him specific questions. Just finally, Adrian, for today, um, on a sort of a on a, on a side note, just we've been talking quite a lot actually today about the um, the the rollout um, of the position of mm. a digital safety commissioner, and yeah. there's some discussion about the kind of roles and responsibilities that he or she will have, you know, when when that position becomes available. Um, are they the answer? As I understand it, and I've looked at it, the Digital Safety Commissioner, the Online Safety Commissioner here in Ireland will be a much, much, much smaller role than somebody like the Data Protection Commissioner. Helen Dixon's office, the Data Protection Commissioner, has about 130 people here. She can fine a company like Facebook billions, and I mean literally billions Mm. of euro. 10 out of the 15 statutory inquiries that her office currently has under GDPR privacy legislation are into Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp. The new digital safety commissioner is likely to be a one or two or three person set up. It will be a consultative uh, thing. The Minister for Communications, Richard Bruton, has frequently said that in Australia, um, often uh, they, they never need to take any action. It's kind of like a, sort of an ombudsman for people. So if you are annoyed with a social network or they won't take something down and you're frustrated, you get on to them and then they might intervene on your behalf. It'll have nothing like the teeth of the data uh, protection uh, commissioner so i wouldn't be putting too much uh, too much hope in that office no really just and in terms of the ro- the rollout um i know obviously they're they're looking at and and looking at the possible legislative positioning um and looking at legislation i suppose at the moment regarding that office but in terms of the kind of the timeline for that rollout uh, the understanding that I have it would be probably be either the end of this year or the beginning of next year. Minister Bruton has uh, talked about uh, it being dependent on, on getting the legislation through the House. And he said that that can you know, take a while. We've seen uh, that can sometimes take six months, nine months, 12 months. Like, no way will we have it before the summer. Um, earliest we get it would be late autumn, early winter and may possibly uh, this time next year. Adrian, we leave it there as um, for the moment. My thanks to you as always for joining us here on the programme today. That is, of course, Adrian uh, Weckler, who is the technology editor with the Irish Independent. I'm afraid that's all we have time for uh, today. And my thanks to all of our panellists, Brian O'Neill uh, from TU Ireland, Hildegard Nocton, Deputy Fine Gael, and also Chair of the Oireachtas Communications Committee. And as you just heard there, Adrian Weckler from the Irish Independent. If you've missed any of the programme, you can download our podcast on newstalk.com or search for Between the Lines in iTunes or any other podcast player. My thanks to the production team today, Elaine Power and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with Between the Lines on Saturday evening from 8 here in News Talk and I'll be back with Breakfast Briefing on Tuesday morning as well from 6am. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a great day.